This message by Zach Varnell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Zach serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Good morning. We are continuing our, uh, our series this morning in the book of Acts. You can go ahead and open there to the book of Acts. If you need a, a Bible, just raise your hand. We'd love to get you one. Continu- t- continuing our series in the book of Acts, Acts of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. And what incredible acts he has accomplished and is still at work accomplishing today. We're going to read the first 21 verses of chapter 2. This is God's word, and it is such a gift to us. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in these last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. 
And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Welcome to the last days. That's what this text, that's what this moment in history ushered in. And they're the same days in which we live. And they are days of great hope. I read one author this week. He said, the history of humanity is a collection of transformative moments. It's a series of pivotal events and defining moments in which our future is suddenly, immeasurably altered by an invention or an action or a discovery. These moments can be separated by years, decades, or more commonly centuries, but when they occur, we can be certain that tremendous change is in our future. Then he says, these moments are hinges of history. Historians argue which, which of these hinges of history were most influential, most life-altering for our world. They've argued about different things. Maybe it was the French Revolution or the invention of the wheel. Second to the cross of Jesus Christ, there might be no more important event, no no greater hinge of history than what we just read. In fact, this event is what the cross accomplished. It ushered in an entirely new era of humanity. You ever thought about Pentecost like that? If you've known what Pentecost was, have you ever thought about it like that? My prayer is that we'd understand how crucial this moment is for us today, not just then. Because we wouldn't be sitting in this room without Acts chapter 2. And so as we learn about Pentecost, we learn about ourselves. My main point this morning, receive the Spirit as the life-giving gift of these last days. Three points this morning, questions we have to ask as we're trying to understand what happened that historic day and what is God's word for us today. So point number one, what happened? God sent his spirit. See, everything in chapter one was leading up to chapter two. In verse five of chapter one, Jesus told his disciples, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's what happened. Baptism in the Spirit. And and there had been preparation and waiting for this moment. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, the, the language there is fulfillment language, when it had finally come, See, Pentecost was was one of the three great feasts of the year for the Jewish people. It was a celebration. It was 50 days after Passover, hence the name Pentecost, 50 days. And it celebrated the first fruits 
of the harvest. The people would bake bread and offer bread from the reapings of of the first of the harvest. It was a time to give thanks to God, to celebrate his provision and to trust him for a full harvest and to pray for that. It commemorated the giving of the law at Mount Sinai after the first Passover, when God's people were rescued with a mighty hand out from Egypt. And see, that's the order and pattern in which God works. He rescues, and then he provides. He, He gives his way of life for his people. That's what he did in the Exodus, rescuing through the Passover, providing through his law from Mount Sinai. And he's about to do it again. Just 50 days before our text that we just read, Jesus Christ was the final, ultimate Passover lamb. As he was sacrificed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, he came and fulfilled the Passover. Jesus was who the Passover was always about. And he transformed it. He told the disciples explicitly, it's a new covenant in my blood. He said in Luke 22. And now, so he's transformed Passover. Now he's about to transform Pentecost. From the giving of the law at Mount Sinai Sinai, to the giving of the Spirit in Jerusalem. He had done everything necessary to make this happen. To perform. Prepare for this. He, he had ascended. He was reigning now as Lord, and he was sending his spirit. And how appropriate, on a, on a celebration day, celebrating the first fruits of the harvest, how appropriate that the first fruits of the gospel would be reaped. Like we learned last week, this is all God's divine arrangement. So what happened? Well, they... As verse 1 tells us, they were all gathered in one place, probably the 120. And suddenly, verse 2, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Verse 3, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. You know, they knew they were waiting for something. They remember the Lord had told them. But they did not expect it to be like this. It reminded me of uh, the Apollo 8 mission. Uh, It was the first manned mission to go all the way to the moon. And up to that point, it was the largest, most powerful rocket we had launched up to that point. 7.6 million pounds of thrust. Take that, Paxton. (laughs) The astronauts were told... The takeoff's going to be rough. And they, were, they tried to prepare for it. They tried to prepare their bodies and train, uh, even get their minds right, to be able to handle the intensity of what the takeoff would be like. When the day finally came for takeoff, they all said there wasn't a thing that could have prepared us for what we experienced. The shaking was Unbelievable intensity they couldn't have prepared for. See, these disciples, they they did not expect it to be like this, but there was nothing chaotic. There was nothing out of control about this moment. It was purposefully designed by God. 
Wind and fire are used throughout Scripture as symbols of the presence of God. Wind is the symbol for God's life. It's symbolic for God's life-giving presence. Think of when he breathed life into Adam. Or like Jesus said in John 3, the, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you don't hear where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Fire also is a symbol for God's holy and purifying presence. Think of the the burning bush that Moses encountered or the pillar of fire that led Israel in the wilderness. So wind and fire. The point is God is present and he's powerfully at work. Tongues of fire, verse 3 says, rested on each one of them. This is an incredibly significant moment. It shows God no longer dwells with, but separate from his people. God now dwells with each one of his people individually. And verse 4 says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is it. This is the hinge of history. This is the baptism of the Spirit that John the Baptist had prophesied, that Jesus himself told them was coming. And the baptism of the Spirit, it's new covenant life. It's faith in Christ sealed by the indwelling of the Spirit. It's an amazing moment. They had finally... They'd finally received the promise. Finally become the people, this side of heaven, that God created them to be. Redeemed and indwelt by him. It's like when people find their gifting, you know, find what they were made for and then just thrive in it. Like when Tommy Emmanuel, the great guitar player, first heard Chet Atkins. Changed his life. Or maybe for our context, when Bill Kittrell caught his first trout. <laughs> or when Jake Cronin made his first million. That's a joke. They were filled with the Spirit. Huh. In verse 4, and they, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 11 tells us what they were saying. They were declaring the mighty works of God. That's, that's Old Testament language for all of God's saving acts. And no doubt in this moment, not only were they proclaiming and rehearsing the realities of the Exodus, they were declaring the glories of Christ. Jesus said in Acts 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's what's going on. 400 years of prophetic silence ended in a moment. God's people filled with God's Spirit declaring God's salvation. And before we look at how the crowds responded, let's just marvel at something together for a minute. If you you are a Christian, if you have faith in the risen Christ, we believe you have been baptized in the Spirit. 
He is dwelling in you. That was his promise all along, and you have received it. Now, our experience is not the same as Acts chapter 2. If you've never had tongues of fire appear to you and you started speaking in other languages, declaring God's works in other languages, that doesn't mean that you're not a Christian necessarily. This was a special moment. We have to understand that. This, is a, this was inauguration day for the new age. It was special. It was significant. But what it does mean is that the Spirit of Christ dwells in his people. He's come. And if that's true, that, that's reason for joy. Receive him as the gift. He is the person of the Spirit indwelling his people. In verse 5, the scene changes. What's happening among Christ's disciples now spills out into the streets. And commentators think that they must have been close to the temple because only the temple grounds could hold such a large crowd. We learn later it was over 3,000 people are gathered here. And because, remember, it was during the, the celebration of Pentecost, Jews, from, Jews are in Jerusalem from all over the place. Luke goes into detail to show us that what we have, we have a sampling of the nations gathered in one place. But it's not a moment of pandemonium or confusion. It's a moment of clear proclamation. In Genesis 10, there, there's a story of the Tower of Babel. You may have heard of it, the Tower of Babel. It was a Story when mankind, man in his arrogance, decided to build a tower to get to God in order to gain status, in order to set a name for themselves. But because of their arrogance, God judged them. And he judged them by dividing their languages, causing confusion and separation. And so they gave up and quit and scattered this moment, in Acts chapter 2, it's a reversal of Babel. Hear what David Peterson, a commentator, he says. What happened on the day of Pentecost suggests that God's curse had been removed. But the confusion of tongues was not undone by providing a common spirit language Communication actually took place through the diversity of languages represented there. God was expressing his ultimate intention to unite people from every tribe and language and people and nation under the rule of his son, providing reconciliation through him and access to the Father by one Spirit. That's what's happening in this moment. It, it, he didn't bring unity at the expense of diversity. This broke down division and maintained and delighted in diversity. It's amazing. Behold the power of God on display. That's the reason for all the emotional responses in this crowd. There's so many descriptors of them. They're, they're hearing this in their language. Think of that. They're hearing it in their own language. Their native tongue. Verse 6 says, And at this sound they were bewildered. Verse 7 says, And they were amazed and astonished. Verse 12, 
12 says, And all were amazed and perplexed. What an experience. Some want to know what it means. Others write it off. And you know, that, that's always what the gospel does. It divides. Some believe, others mock. So never be surprised or discouraged by rejection. It's part of the gospel's design, but it is not the last word. God's work of renewal has begun. He's going to save the nations. So that's what happened. And now seeing their response, Peter stands up to explain. That's, that's point two. What did it mean? Well, we sung about it this morning. God always keeps his promises. Verse 14, so Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Peter, Peter's going to answer their question. And remember, this is the same man, Peter, who just 50 days earlier had denied Jesus in fear. And yet now this same Peter stands with the eleven and lifts his voice. Even in front of probably a number of those people were in the crowd yelling, crucify him about Jesus. So in front of those same people whom Peter once feared, he stands. What happened to Peter? Did he just see a second chance, a chance to redeem himself? No, Christ had risen from the dead. Peter was filled with the Spirit. And in God's kindness, and in God's kindness, it's Peter. <laughs> it's Peter. The one who had failed. The one who had denied Christ. It's Peter who gets to be the first person in this new covenant age to speak about the grace of God. Verse 14, men of Judea, and all you who dwell in Jer Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Like any good preacher, he uses a bit of humor. These guys aren't drunk, it's too early. Verse 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he quotes Joel too. He goes to God's word. He's saying this, what you see right here today, this moment, this is that. This is what Joel was talking about. It's a fulfillment of a promise. Welcome to the last days. We're there. So students, this is what's about to happen. I asked Josh if I could share this and he said, yes, you're about to get in the bus, right? bus is, and you're about to drive down, and you're going to be so excited, and you're going to get in those seats. You're going to start meeting people on the way down. You're going to stop for dinner, and you're going to get back in the buses and keep going down, and it's going to get dark. You'll get off the interstate. You'll be on these back roads for a long time. You'll start to get tired. You'll start to wonder, where are we? But then you're going to get closer, and the closer you get, the more excited you're going to become, and you're finally going to pull into that parking lot. And people are going to start yelling. And you're going to get out of the bus. 
and you're going to get your stuff, and you're going to go up to the room. You're going to see how beautiful this room is that they've made for your meeting space, and there's going to be loud music playing, and people are still going to be screaming, and then you're going to get your stuff, and you're going to put your stuff in your room, and you're going to go out to the beach, and the women are going to, in two rows, line, make a channel down to the ocean, and the men are going to go paint up and get their minds ready to take on the ocean. (laughs) And they're going to yell and scream and look like wild animals, and they're going to run and charge and get into the water and start yelling some more. There's just lots of yelling. (laughs) But it's then in that moment, everybody's in the water and going crazy. You've made it to Vision Quest. That's how you know. Well, with the coming of the Spirit, (laughs) that wasn't expected. With, With the coming of the Spirit, we know God's promises have come to pass, they've arrived. We're there. This is what God has been promising to do all along. He promised to pour out His Spirit. That's the language of Joel. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a drizzle or a sprinkle. It was an overwhelming outpouring. His Spirit would not uh, just be reserved for a select few, for a select purpose like in the Old Testament. But He says, on all flesh... Verse 17, he says, your sons and your daughters, your young men and old men. Verse 18, even my male servants and female servants, his spirit's going to all demographics and all ages and all social statuses. These these people who were speaking, these 120, they were not professional prophets. They were Galileans, simple folk, uneducated, unimpressive, common people. But the Lord said through Joel, I will pour out my spirit, verse 18, and they shall prophesy. Now what he's talking about is the knowledge of God, knowing God and his word like the prophets of old who knew the Lord and spoke for him. Now, as Jeremiah said, no longer shall each tell his neighbor, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. The point is that the day of the Lord has come. The day of the Lord has come upon them. That's what Joel 2 is all about, the day of the Lord. In the Old Testament, this day had always been a day known as a day of judgment, a scene of finality. And that day does remain when Jesus returns and God's final vindication comes. God will come to judge. Yet what Peter is saying is now, During these last days, after the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ, that that very day of judgment has become a day of hope. How? Verse 21, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is what Pentecost was all about. This is the invitation of our text This morning, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Can it be that simple? You know, throughout Israel's history, they had always failed 
to keep God's promises. They had always failed to live up to his standards, to obey his law, to keep his covenant. So how can it be? How how can anyone truly call upon the name of the Lord? They can because the Spirit has been poured out. The Spirit has come. Ezekiel 36. This is the promise fulfilled. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. That the promise of the new covenant has come. God sent his son, accomplished his atoning work on the cross, dying for our sin, for the forgiveness of our sin, raised him from the dead. Jesus has ascended on high. He reigns as Lord. He's given the name above every name, and now he has sent his spirit. And because of those things, he freely offers this salvation. The first sermon among the people of God in the new covenant age begins with with this offer, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Charles Spurgeon, what a glorious gospel verse this is. This is one of the great lifeboat texts of the Bible. He who can get into this boat shall certainly sail to glory and safety. Whosoever shall do this not only may be, but shall be saved. The Spirit came so that Jesus, the risen Lord, would be called upon. So do it today. Call upon him. Find salvation in him alone, for there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Finally, last point. Why does it matter? Why does Pentecost matter? Well, we have the Spirit. John Stott, in his commentary on the book of Acts, he says the wind and the fire were abnormal, (laughs) and probably the languages too, but the new life and joy, fellowship and worship, freedom, boldness, and power were not. These are the things we are invited to enjoy in this age of the Spirit. He's at work in us. It's reason for joy. Paul exhorts us in Ephesians 5. He says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for 
Christ. That's what the Spirit's doing. See, the Lord baptizes us in the Spirit at conversion, and then in greater and greater measure, He fills us and empowers us and strengthens us and does a work in us over and over. He's conforming us to his son. He's giving us gifts. We enjoyed those gifts this morning during prophetic ministry meant to encourage us and build us up. That's what the spirit is doing. He magnifies Christ in our eyes. He causes us to see and behold the glory of our Savior and delight in Him. He is powerfully at work in every area of our lives. It's a joy to live in these last days. Empowered and indwelt by the Spirit, Jesus said about the Spirit in John 16 that He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. you. You ever had a moment where either when you're reading scripture or in prayer or even maybe while we were singing this morning or as you've been hearing the word of God, you ever had a moment when you just, you feel a love for Christ. You're aware of how great he is. You see him a little more clearly and you delight in him. Even just a little. That's the work of the Spirit. That's what he loves to do. The forum ended this week. It was a uh, five-week time of teaching and discussion that we had exploring different questions about Christianity and how, how the Bible answers kind of the hard questions of life. And uh, my wife Sarah and I got to participate in that. And at, at our table in discussion, there was a young man who sat with us every week and just a humble guy and uh, talked to us about how he had just recently become a Christian and how he didn't know a lot, (laughs) Uh, but how he knew two things for sure. Jesus was real and he loved him. And then at one point, he's just a humble guy and he's just sharing with us. At one point he was telling us he was reading in the Gospel of John and uh, he admitted, I've not really read much of the Bible at all, but I'm reading John, and you know it's crazy? I actually understand it. And we were like, you do? It was like, not all of it, but I actually understand it. I'm understanding the Word of God. We all just got to celebrate that's the Spirit. So the Spirit loves to do. If you've never had that experience, that's what the Spirit loves to do. He can and He will magnify Christ in your life. Call out to him. Pray that he fill you and help you and enable you. This is what the gospel offers. See, it's not just the forgiveness of sin, as wonderful as that is. It's not just the forgiveness of sin. It is the hope of life. It's the filling of the Spirit, empowerment for life. John Stott again says, There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ likeness of character apart from his fruit, and no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. But the church ain't dead because the spirit has come. There's so many implications for us.
Just a few to close with. We, we are never without hope. Where, where in your life do you feel stuck? In what area in your life do you, do you lack hope? Yes, we do live in a fallen world. These are the last days, praise God for that, but this present evil age remains until that final day. So yes, there is trouble. Bodies are racked with cancer. Loved ones die. Marriages are destroyed. But though we aren't in heaven yet, we, we live as those who one day will be. And that matters. The, the, the down payment of the Spirit guarantees our hope. Because that future final day is secure. And until that day, the Spirit is at work. You're never without hope. Marriages can be healed. New life can be given. Sicknesses can be healed. Rebels can be reconciled. This is the age of the Spirit. The new age has broken in. We're never without hope. Secondly, there's not a moment to lose. When the Spirit comes to empower, He empowers for a purpose. Not just so that we feel good, but so that we make much of Christ. That's our calling. That's our honor. The disciples were empowered to speak of his mighty deeds. That's what we get to do as his church. The point being, the Christian life is not boring. My wife enjoys a good deep dive. One of them was Hamilton, the musical, and not just the songs or the show, but the actual story of Alexander Hamilton and how Lin-Manuel found it and read the biography and then made the musical and she liked it so much and studied it so much that it drove me crazy. And she was always putting on the songs and always wanting to talk about it. And I was always like, no, let's don't. I was not interested. <laughs> Until finally, in God's kindness, we got to go see it. And then my eyes were open. I'm a fan now. <laughs> and I get it. My point is, if we are apathetic or bored... Or, or not very interested, or just try and get through in the Christian life, maybe we need fresh sight of what it is we've been purchased for. But that's what the Spirit does. We're not called to live each day just to, you know, get home or get to the weekend. The life we've been called to really is the great adventure. The Spirit has come, and He is empowering us for mission and for his kingdom. This age is one of work and purpose and God's glory. And we get to be wrapped up into that. So if you lack motivation or zeal, or if you're struggling with apathy, ask the Spirit for sight. Ask him to fill you and empower you and motivate you to give your life to his purposes. And lastly, we have reason not to fear. If the Spirit dwells with us, what is there to fear? Remember Peter, boldness, his boldness didn't come from just figuring it out or mustering it up. It came from knowing the truth. And it came from the Spirit's power. The same Spirit is at work in you. Spirit bears witness with ours, Romans 8 says, that we are children of God. And if that is true, <laughs> oh man, we, we can experience heaven 
on earth. Every new day is not a day given for us to worry. It's a day given for us to enjoy living in the kingdom. Pentecost changed history. It has changed and it has everything to do with our own lives. The Spirit has come all because of the finished work of Christ. You are never stuck. You are never without hope. You are never without purpose. You are alive in Christ, destined to walk out these good works he's called you to. Revival is gladly receiving the Spirit as the life-giving fruit of the gospel. He is ours, and we are his. History is hinged, and it's really incredible. So may the Lord fill us and enable us to live in the good of that. Let's pray together. Father, cause us by your Spirit to see. Oh, Lord, to see and to know and to delight in the glory of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, thank you. You have not left us as orphans, but you've provided your Spirit. And with your Spirit, there's fullness of life. So, Father, come and fill us afresh. Fill us afresh with the gift of your Holy Spirit. May it cause us to live as those who have hope, those who have reasons not to fear, those who trust in you and have a future guaranteed in your presence. May it change our lives, Lord, as we put our trust in you in greater and greater ways. Do it, Lord. May everyone here call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Zach Barnell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.